You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Hulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. Today, Father Paul continues his discussion of Genesis chapter 1, and he begins once again by reminding us of the influence of Greek philosophy on our handling of Genesis. The tendency of philosophy is to lift man up, to associate and identify him with the gods, ultimately to divinize man. And in Genesis, Father Paul explains, the opposite is taking place. Man is being belittled. Where we want to give man a place of prominence in Genesis through the order of the text and his position as a child of the heavens and the earth, man is relegated not just as one of the other creatures, but as a creature of lower status. Right. Father Paul comes at it so many different ways, and he has in past episodes, and he's going to continue in today's episode. And one of the ways that he belittles Adam, the human being, is by bringing attention to this phrase, nefesh chaya, which we translate usually as a living soul, but Father Paul corrects that and calls it a living breath, because nefesh really is the breath, the wind that comes through the human body. What Father Paul brings attention to is that the nefesh chaya first came from the waters before the human being. The human being was not the first nefesh chaya. Father Paul shows that in the hierarchy of things, the human being is not at the top. This undermines the philosophical idea that the human being is the head of creation just under the gods. Man is just a part of the picture. The real story is the story of the heavens and the earth, something that Father Paul has emphasized again and again. So I'm very happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Last time, we not only ended, but we spoke basically about how theology very early erred because it was controlled by Greco-Romans who perverted scripture, which is by definition anti-Greek wisdom by making Greek thought and premises as the reference to hear scripture. That was their mind. And the Westerners should not point the finger to the East because we all know that Plato and Aristotle ruled and still rule Western theological thought since the Middle Ages. One can see it in the culmination of Bultmann, who is one of the princes of exegetes, but he was Heidegger's buddy. A book was published recently about their correspondence between 25 and 76. And so on. I mean, that's how we are. St. Vladimir's Seminary lately published a book, How New Philosophers Seek New Insights by Looking in the Tradition of the Eastern Orthodox Church, which is mysticism and then personalism and individualism. Now, why am I mentioning this? Because this 
can be seen in the handling of Genesis. Notice how everyone is always excited about that part where Adam and Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And that's us speaking about it. And ultimately, they make the jump to Jesus Christ and so on. As though the rest does not exist. I know that they say that God created everything. I know my theology, so let's not lose time on that. But the concentration is always on me. We are so cunning that we cover this through false modesty. If we don't want to say I, we say we. Like we, the Greeks, we, the Russians, we, the Armenians, we, the Christians, we, the Jews, we, the Antiochians. And it's the same thing, the we. Why? Because ultimately our we is our own tribe and clan and family, not the outsider. Unless the outsider becomes part of the we. Notice how the Orthodox like to use about the converts and even the converts, I was received into the Orthodox faith. I mean, that's devastating, in other words. Unless you are of that kind, then you have no hope. But this is not how Scripture handled the matter. We spoke about the earth, and from there I jumped to speak about Adam. I want to defend that even in a much closer way. In my book, I stress the fact that chapters 1 through 4 speak about the Toledot, the genealogy of the heavens and earth. It treats the heavens and earth as later Adam and Noah and Shem and Abraham, not Abraham, he has no Toledot, but Jacob and the rest are dealt with. Adam, as personal human being, appears at the beginning of chapter 5, where he has his own genealogy. Until then, systematically, the Hebrew uses Ha-Adam, the human being, the human being, with one exception, which is very cunning. In verse 26, Ha-Adam appears the first time in verse 27. In verse 26, where we hear, then God said, let us make man in our own image. We have here Adam, but then in the following verse 27, we hear, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. The intention, as I spoke extensively in the book, is to pin down the hearer to the fact that Adam as an individual, which is going to appear in 5.1, is already part of the heavens and the earth as an element, a son, a child of the heavens and the earth.
Notice what I'm trying to say, that the author really pins this down on us. First, he say, Adam, God said, let us make Adam, but then God created Ha-Adam. And thus, the human being in the first four chapters is like the rest of creation, as I mentioned, and we shall see in day six, the human being is created together with the animals. I would like to push this issue further by going back to the text. Last time, the first occurrence of Adama, which is the other word used to speak of earth, which is the central element in the heavens and the earth, as I said last time. The heavens is the domain of God. You just mention it once at the beginning and then you forget about it. It's mainly the earth. And then later in day four, it is the place of the stars and the moon and the sun and so on. It's like a Christmas tree. That's all. But the real thing from our perspective is the earth slash the Adama. So cunningly, the author throws this Adama just before he throws it in verse 25, just before the mention of Adam and then Adam. But we notice the same thing, and I would like to speak about this today and then wrap up, is that Nefesh Haya, and here I have to say it in Hebrew because I'm going to show you how the RSV plays on that and changes it because it likes to underscore that the human being is different. We have the expression Nefesh Haya, which is living breath. Okay, but RSV calls it creatures or creature. We have it in verse 20, 21, and 24. In 2.7, the human being is referred to as nefesh haya, living breath. But again here, RSV changes creature to being. Thus, the hearer of RSV is given the impression that somehow the human being is different than the other nefesh haya, which is not true. So we have a parallelism between Adam, Adama, and then living creatures. But the real strike is that the first time living creature, which one would expect to be used mainly about the land animals, is used about the denizens of the waters of the sea. In 20 we hear, and God said that the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures. This bring forth is very important because 
earlier in verse 12, we hear that the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which their seed each according to its kind. Now, since the author obviously wants to say that God is behind all creatures around us, including the fish of the sea, because they are part of our life. We use them, we eat them. Fish becomes very important in the story of Noah and in the New Testament and so on and so forth. The waters are made to bring forth swarms of living creatures. So already the human being of 2.7 and of 1.26 is belittled in the sense that his kind being in Efesh Ahaya already appeared not even on earth but in the waters that are a little bit outside the domain of technically the earth. I spoke about that last time by mentioning the fact that in the flood, Noah did not need to worry about the fish of the sea. He didn't bring them to the ark. They don't need to go in. So all I can say, it is very impressive when we hear scripture without our own premises. I know that one cannot begin except with a premise, but then one has to make the effort to have one's premise corrected by Scripture. But if the premise remains that the human being is otherwise than anything else, then you're not reading Scripture, especially not Genesis 1 and 2. So we have more than one strike, more than one way the author is trying to communicate his intention. And when something is done more than once, twice, and in this case in two different ways, then one has to conclude. Let me crown this line of comments by saying that the verb created that God uses of Adam, let's go back to my statement, that God said, let us make Adam in our own image. And then this is in 26, in 27, and he created the man, even that created, we have it already in verse 21. And guess what? Concerning the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. Let me recap. The earth brings forth vegetation. The waters bring forth swarms of living creatures. Add to this that God creates every living creature 
that moves way before 27, where we hear that God created the human being. Then one cannot, if one is honest, you know, I appeal always to honesty. Honesty means to accept things the way they are. We have three levels at which the author is pushing his teaching that everything that comes of God has the same value intrinsically. The difference comes, as I said last time, and we shall discuss this again when we get to verses 27, 28, 29. The difference is functional. The difference in value is only functional. Let me jump to the New Testament, where Paul, as economos, has authority over his addresses. And yet he is no less the slave of the same master of the house. The economos is still a slave like all the others. But functionally, he is granted authority. And this, my good hearers, applies against classical, especially orthodox theology, to Christ himself who is given authority in Philippians 2 as the slave of God. It is written right there in Greek. There is no difference. The difference is that he accepted that mission where the rest of us, at least most of us, abuse it. We play the game. Look around, you have the people in position of authority lord it over the others, as Jesus says, as the Gentiles do, which means the Roman emperor. And we really need to be rid of that. Otherwise, we shall follow the traditional path of theology that hijacked scripture. Scripture that was written from a Semitic perspective against Greece and Alexander the Great and against the Roman Emperor later in the New Testament is hijacked by the Greco-Romans, which means Greek mentally. Okay, Roman is more societal, Greek is philosophy, to re-inject this in Scripture to the extent, as I mentioned in my book, that Alexandrian theologian launched this horrendous thought. I would even call it a sacrilege that the way the Old Testament prepared the Jews for the advent of Christ, Greek philosophy prepared the nations for the advent of Christ. Are you kidding me? You're equating the wisdom of the Greeks, of which Paul, after his predecessors in the Old Testament, makes fun in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. You equalize it with Scripture? But this is what happened. You know, Plato and Aristotle 
rule over theology, and this can be seen in the tradition mainly of the Western Church, where very clearly, you know, at least in the Roman Catholic Church and also in the Reformation, you have to learn philosophy before you do theology, because all the terminology is so. We, the Orthodox, without imposing a system on that, but we know that without Greek philosophy, we can understand the writings of the fathers and the decision of the ecumenical councils. And we know that in Greek mentality, the human being is given the value of God. This intercourse between humans and gods, that the human is divine and uh, in somewhere or another, uh, that's not what scripture is saying. One more time, the earth brings forth, the waters bring forth. The waters bring forth living creatures. God makes the human being as a living creature, which is nefesh haya, a living breathing. And then his action in 21, regarding the great sea monsters and every living creature. And notice it is only there. It is as though the author wants to underscore that God created the living creatures that are at the lowest level of life. You know, you have the fish and then the birds and then the earthly mammals. It is amazing. And only there you have created. So created is used only there and then with the human being, not with the birds or the other animals. I mean, that cannot be but intention. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.